Hello, everyone, and welcome to AC23, your weekly dose of arts and culture. My name is Chancellor Zero Skidmore. My producer is Jeremy Porcine. This show is brought to you by the Arts Council of Greater Baton Rouge. You can stream this show and previous episodes at artsbr.org or on Apple Podcasts. When you're on Apple Podcasts, make sure that you subscribe to the show and give us the five stars you know we deserve. In celebration of Black History Month, I'd like to recognize an arts legend in the Capital Region, Mr. Frank Hayden. Frank Hayden is one of Louisiana's preeminent sculptors. He is best known for his public commissions, many of which are concentrated in and around Baton Rouge, where he resided from 1961 until his untimely death. A devout Christian, Hayden's artwork reflects deep spiritual and humanistic concerns. Fellowship, family, Christian values, war, and civil rights are common themes. Although primarily figurative, his sculptural forms are stylized and often abstracted. Words sometimes are inscribed onto the surface. Hayden worked in clay, plaster, fiberglass, and stone. He was heavily influenced by the religious art of Croatian sculptor Ivan Mestrovic. Like his mentor, he made use of the European modernistic tradition to cast in bronze by means of the lost wax process. It is Hayden's works carved of wood that best demonstrate his skill and sensitivity to form and subject. Inspired by African tribal art, his carved wood pieces exemplify formal simplicity and quiet dignity. He was raised by his mother in a Memphis housing project. An academic scholarship enabled him to attend Xavier University in New Orleans, where he first encountered sculpting. Hayden completed postgraduate work at Iowa State University before studying abroad in Munich, Stockholm, and Copenhagen as the recipient of several prestigious scholarships. In 1962, he joined the faculty of Southern University in Baton Rouge, where he taught sculpture and drawing for 27 years. In 1985, the faculty honored him with the university's first Distinguished Professor Award. In 1988, Hayden died tragically at the young age of 53. You can see much of his work on the campus of Southern University, the Louisiana Art and Science Museum, downtown Baton Rouge, and many churches and public squares around the country. All right, y'all. Our Arts Council calendar highlights. Um, we only have two for this week. Uh, on display at the Firehouse Gallery is Beth Welch's exhibit entitled Living Memory. It is a collection of strikingly vivid drawings using ink, charcoal, and vellum to give commentary on the artist's relationship with motherhood and her own mother in the midst of passing time and fleeting memories. That show will run until February 27th with an upcoming reception on February 20th. On February 19th at noon, the Arts Council will host another edition of Artist Talks. Group therapist Cappy Landrenu will be speaking on mental health and artists navigating the pandemic together. Artist Talks are facilitated by the Arts Council's staff on Zoom and open to the entire public. For more information on either of these events, go to www.artsbr.org. All right. Today's guest has been a fixture of the Baton Rouge music and poetry scene for the last 20 plus years. He's a guitarist, producer, songwriter, photographer, software creator, and voice actor. Sean Griffin, welcome to AC23. Zero, what's up, dude? Good to be here. Good to have you. Good to be here. Awesome, awesome. So, man, I'm listing all of these uh, these things, the, the, some of the few things that you do. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's like you, you focused on mastering so many forms of artistic expression. Do you see yourself as a renaissance man or... No, uh, I just see myself as me. 
you know, um, <laughs> I just a lot of varied interests. Um, I think, I think the way I described it, um, I eventually realized I have what I call the Superman syndrome. Basically, I feel mm. like I can do anything, mm. so I try to do everything. You know, to various degrees of of uh, proficiency. You know, but uh, anything I do, I'm going to do it at least at a, a decent level of of uh, quality. Awesome, awesome. So, um, you are a guitarist. You you've uh, played with a lot of different people, but um, you regularly with uh, the Hip Doc with uh, Euphoria. Euphoria, yep. Yeah, um, we've uh, we've been around. You know, I don't know uh, exactly how long. I, I guess I kind of shudder to think about it. But we've been around with uh, a couple of different changes in the lineup. But um, um. Currently, we have uh, Meryl Poche on drums. We have uh, Cliff Wilbert. He's our keyboardist. Um, of course, hip-hop doc, Dr. Ronnie Whitfield on bass. And up front, we have um, Cypress. Awesome, awesome. And, and, and y'all are one of the most sought-after bands in Baton Rouge uh, in, the, in the region, really. Um, or at least we were at one point before this whole uh, <laughs> for this whole thing, thing yeah, yeah, before the pandemic shut everything down. So... Um, I, I guess I'll start with the music. How did you? How did your relationship with music begin? Uh, my relationship with music began uh, at birth, basically. Um, music was just always around in, in various forms. Uh, my mother was, and still is, a big music fan. She always had music playing throughout the house. You know, um, I could just remember. Um, from the, my earliest memories, just music, if radio, records, you know, anything. And she, she had a pretty diverse um, taste in music. You know, it was always, um, you know, all, all the good stuff that was out, you know, with different genres. If it was good, she liked it, she listened to it, so we listened to it, you know. Um, and also, um, my family, my mother's side of the family, um, more notably, um, was just full of just musicians, really, people who played music, I should say. Um, uncles, cousins, you know, there were uh, musical instruments around. I just kind of just absorbed it, you know, just by default. And <laughs> and so we, we've we talked about this. Like, you started going to, like, concerts at a, at a pretty young age. Uh, yeah. I, I don't exactly remember my, my first concert, but, yeah, that's another thing, you know, I have to credit my mother with because she, like, she used to like to go, you know, um, all the all the big acts that would come to town come through uh, the LSU Assembly Center. Yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, the Centriplex. You know, um, I'm calling out these names that no longer exist. Well, who were some so, of the acts that you saw when you were? Oh my goodness, uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire, Commodores, Gap Band, Rick James, um, and all the old funk people. You and we're know. talking like early seventies. Uh, well, no, mid seventies, late seventies, early eighties. You know, um, yeah, yeah, early eighties, and. Uh, I just you, uh, should, you shouldn't have been old enough to get in these places. Not alone, no. <laughs> not alone. It had to be a company. Yeah. Um, cool. So, I think that you know I've I've known you for a while. You know, we we both grew up in Plaquemine, knowing each other, um, making music together to some extent. Um, and you you've you've kind of ventured beyond uh, creating to. To producing, uh, I remember at one time you were kind of on call when when Master P has had his facility here, and um, they they needed 
some consulting on equipment and things like that. Yeah, it was certain um, certain entities within the camp, um, not necessarily the uh, the the entire uh, organization, but yeah, there were there were different people. There was actually a couple of uh, the artists that I worked with that I did some production with. Um, so yeah, just and and then at some point, photography came into play. Yeah, I have to credit my aunt, uh, my aunt Moran, my uncle, uncle Billy, Peter Gunn's wife. Um, my cousin was getting married, and um, this was like maybe ninety, ninety-one or something like that. And um, it was it was an informal event, you know, at the house, nothing, nothing big or serious. And she had a camera, so she just looked at me and said. Uh, Look, I want you to take pictures. Um, okay, uh, all right. And I, I typically don't back down from a challenge. You know, I just I don't say no. My, my philosophy is uh, I may not know right now, but I will. I'll, I'll learn. Or I'll let you pay me to learn. Yeah. So that type of thing. So she just grabbed it. She put the camera in my hands. I grabbed it, and ceremony started. And I snapped pictures, and she got them developed. And she just she she liked the photo. She just came and. Um, you know, she talked to me about it, and she didn't realize she was planting the seed in me. She just said, she said, you take some great photos. Yeah. You know, and that kind of stayed in my head, I guess, in the back of my head for years. Um, it it kind of sparked an interest in photography, you know. Uh, whether, whether it was um, conscious or not, I was always, from that point forward, just noticing photos and just paying attention. And then at one point in time, later on when um, – I had my son after my son was born. Mm-hmm. Um, the year that he uh, turned two, and for that particular year, that Christmas, I decided I'd buy myself a camera because I wanted to take pictures of him, just document his, his life, just growing up, you know. So I bought a camera. Um, and naturally, I just started reading about everything because anything I do, I wanted, I want to at least be decent at it, you know. So I wanted to know what I was doing. Started buying books, reading things. Uh, took a correspondence course about photography. Um, then I just started buying some equipment here and there. Started doing photos. Uh, people started seeing some of my photos, and then I noticed people were offering money to do this for them. <laughs> Suddenly, my interest in it got bigger. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, you you you've done like. Portrait photography. Um, I remember you would you would come out to the poetry readings and and a yeah. lot of those were more artsy. Uh, I got it got to a point where it's like um, I was kind of known for having that camera. Or I was anywhere I went, anything I did, I had the camera with me. And quite often, I would also have a guitar with me. You know, uh, <laughs> I would bring it on stage and just just photograph everything that was going on. So um, inadvertently, I just I just. Uh, you know, practice, experimented, and just documented a lot of what happened um, in the music, in uh, the music um, scene around here throughout the years. Well, uh, and I, I would say too, like this is pre-cell phone. Some of the stuff we're talking about, and that camera got you access to it a got lot me of access to place. People places, would open yeah. doors when they saw somebody with a with what looked like a professional camera. Right now, yeah, as you say, this is pre-cell phone. Uh, I was shooting film. Yeah film you know uh, yeah. I'm pretty sure most of you've heard of it <laughs> but um yeah I, and I would have the camera with me um and I would have a setup you know the flashes and things like that and uh go to events and people would see me I'm there really just as a spectator but they would see me with the camera and next thing I know they, they're kind of motion, motioning for me to come backstage come in just I get in free because I have this camera right. they look at me and they assume that I'm with a publication or, or whatever so I get free access Wow. 
And yeah, I, re- I remember there was that that pic you had of you and Beyonce with with, with Destiny's Child and. Yeah, they they had come down to do a show at uh, at the Mini Dome, nineteen ninety nine. It was like a Minute Maid tour or something like that. And um, actually, the reason I was there because I was producing uh, one of the opening acts. Mm. So we were there for a uh, sound check and a, and a rehearsal. And I remember Matthew Knowles was there, and um, I walked up to him, and um, this was during they were on Destiny's Child was on stage. So I walked up to him and asked him if it would, if it would be okay for me to take a photo, mm-hmm. and he asked me. You know, what publication am I, am I with? What is this going to be used for? And I said, you know, uh, I was being honest. I said, this is just for my personal use. And he declined. He said, no, then you cannot take a photo, which is fine. I'll put my camera up. Everything um, proceeded from that point. You know, the sound check wrapped up and everything. So we were walking around um, through the outer corridors of the, of the mini dome. And at some point, I walked up on the group. Um, Destiny's Child. It was, you know, Beyonce, Latavia, Kelly, and... Uh, Michelle? Mich- no, no, not... This is before Michelle. The, uh, oh. I don't, uh, I don't I know forgot the other one's name, just that quick. And the other one, the other one. The yeah. other one, right, the original one. So um, Beyonce looked at me, and she saw my camera around my neck. I said, would you... And she said, would you like a picture? She walked up to me and offered it, you know. And I was like, fine. <laughs> so, yeah, that's where that picture came from. So that's so that's the Beyonce story. You know, yeah. I was gonna make you tell the Prince story. Uh oh. Give me the abridged version of the Prince story. The and, abridged. And tell it like tell it like I wasn't there. Okay. <laughs> y- yeah. Okay. Um, hmm. <laughs> Although I'm glad that you happen to be there to witness it. Otherwise, it would be a lie. That's right. It's so, all true. It's all true. Oh wow. Okay. So this was in 2004 at the uh, Sanger Theater, Sanger Theater down in New Orleans. Um, this was, um, I forget the name of the tour. Um, it was the Rainbow Children album was out. So, um, I was a member of the MPG Music Club, which basically gets you access to things like the sound check and everything. So, um, I was in there for the sound check, um, me probably with about 50 or 60 other people. We were all just sitting around. So they did the sound check and, uh, at the end of the sound check, uh, Prince walks up to the front of the stage and then he just starts in, engaging the audience, just talk, starts talking to everybody, you know, um, I guess partly to kind of show everybody, look, I mean, they portray me this way. I'm not as weird as they say I am. I'm weird, but not as weird as they say I am. So people are asking questions and things. So uh, one of the girls in the audience asked him to play the song called Crazy You um, in the show. Why, why doesn't he never play it? So he was he got on the mic and he was like, I don't remember the song. Because this song was like from his first album in 1978. So he said, I, I don't remember and have to go back and learn it. I just happened to be sitting there on the front row with a guitar pick in my hand. <laughs> and I raised it up. I said, I know it. But he just kept on talking. And um, But then after a few seconds, he stopped and he looked at me and he said, you play guitar? And I showed it to him. I said, what do you think this is? I don't know why I did that. <laughs> Next thing I know, he was taking his guitar off and handing it to me. So, and that's how that whole thing kind of, kind of uh, evolved, I guess. That's that's yeah. Not a lot of people can say they played with Prince. I played with him. He gave me a good compliment after that too, though. He um, he uh, called me back to the up to the stage. Well, he got back on the mic and he said, "I have, I have to admit, out of everybody who's come up here and tried to play with me, you're the best one so far." So at that point in time, I was ready to just put down my guitar. I'm like, I don't have to play anymore. I got a compliment from Prince. That was pretty cool. Yeah. And and and. and so you stopped telling the story, but of course, 
you walk down, he handed handed you the guitar, you start playing, and then the he and the rest of his band played with you right while it. you were playing the the Crazy You song, and then you went into Bambi. Well, yeah, actually, they didn't kick in until after the Crazy You. Right. The, the funny thing about the Crazy You, I actually played the song wrong. <laughs> I wasn't playing it right. And I looked up and I saw his face, and he just kind of, you know, he was polite about it. He was like, okay. Well, he didn't remember it. Well, yeah, you know, but he could tell I wasn't playing it right. So, but... I, I remember thinking to myself, you know what? I, I cannot let this end right now. I got to get some more out of this. Oh, okay. So I, that's when I decided I'm going to play Bambi, I just, right. you know, which is a hard rock song. And I just played a couple of licks from it. And, uh, um, and then, then that's when the crowd just went crazy. You know, like, oh, okay, yeah. I got my house now. Now I can, now I can quit. <laughs> so I, I started to take the guitar off and hand it to him. He was like, no, man, play, play, keep on playing. Because he started playing on bass. Because I, 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 I lit back into it. And he had kicked the foot pedals in to give me the distorted sound and everything, which, you know, it's a hard rock sound. And next thing I know, the drums kick in. He picks up bass, so I'm playing with John Blackwell and Prince on bass, and, you know, we're playing Bambi. And then I just kind of zoned out from that point forward, and I just tried to do a solo and everything. And, and then I came, I came back to consciousness a few, yeah. about a minute or so later, and I'm looking back and listening, and everybody's just crowded. Everybody's just going crazy, you know. Yeah, and I'm sitting on the second row, hyperventilating. Yeah, I, was, I look down. I look down at I your face. Not, yeah, and you just had this dumbfounded look on yeah, your face. I was, like, <laughs> no, I was. I was in another realm of disbelief. I, I, I couldn't believe what I was. I, it was. Yeah, like I can't, is this really? I can't even yeah. talk about it now. <laughs> yeah. um, but I'm glad you were there. Yeah, it was amazing, man. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've been most recently um, creating. Creating software sounds. What's the word? What's the what's the what's the exact verbiage? Well, what it ends up being, um, it's uh, they call them expansions, expansion packs. This is with Native Instruments, mm-hmm. um, who is a company that produces hardware as well as software for for basically basically music production, um, musicians, instruments, um, you know, keyboards, uh, groove instruments like uh, the Premier. Instruments called the machine, which is a it's basically it's a production unit, you know. Mm-hmm. So we um, we created expansion packs that can be used within their software and uh, and the hardware, which is basically it's um, sounds. It sounds. It's tools for other producers to use to create their music to re- create their content. Yeah. And so for me, that's that's pretty profound to say. You know, so m- so many of us, so many musicians dream of recording music that they can put out and, and people can hear, but you have sounds that musicians around the world can use. I am a part of who knows how many songs and projects that's, that, that's just kind of floating around out there. Yeah, I've played on things that I don't, I'm not even aware of. So, <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. That's pretty cool. And um, this, uh, this, what's the name of your particular, the expansion packs that you've done? Uh, one is called on. uh, Midnight Sunset. That was the most recent one. That was actually about two years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first one we did was um, called Headland Flow, which is derived from Outkast, um, Headland, and, and Delow. I think it's a line from one of the songs or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's an it's area. A street. It's yeah. a street um, in Atlanta. You know, it's um, associated with, with them and everything that they were doing. So. Um, and that one People was. People were hungry for those sounds. Those, right, uh, right. And that, dungeon that, family sounds. Dungeon Family, right? It it was focused on really southern hip hop in general, more mm-hmm. or less. Uh huh. And the uh the the Midnight Sunset, which is the more recent one, that one that one's focused more on kind of um eighties, um, 
funk, soul, uh, boogie yeah. kind of music. So, well, that's I mean that's that's and that's just you know a lot of great things coming to fruition. Mm-hmm. Um, seeing you as a musician, as a producer, uh, and now uh, putting out um, these tools for other producers to use, almost like the next generation of producers coming up. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's 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 pretty profound. So um I would like to see them actually be able to place some of these things themselves, but you know. <laughs> well that's uh that's that's a market. Modern for me. modern production is is different <laughs> from the production we grew up yeah, seeing. Yeah, yeah, we came up on a different scene. But. but uh I guess what we can also add to your list of accolades is COVID nineteen survivor, right? Yeah. You know, I mean everybody can hear you. You have a much greater like radio voice than I do. <laughs> um, zero. Yeah, that, that's not, no, I'm zero. But um, <laughs> have you uh, gotten back to doing some voiceover work since you recuperated? Uh, not, no. Uh, it took me a while to, to kind of uh, just ease my way back into just doing anything creative. Um, it, uh, when I was down, I, I wanted, I had the desire to do things, but I just couldn't, you know, yeah. I, I wanted to get up out of the bed and go play in the studio, but that ju- I just didn't have the mental, even the physical energy to do it. So, um, it took me a little while to just ease my way back into it. But now when I'm, every, I'm working on some new, I'm always working on new music. Always. It's, it's just, even if it's just a basic concept, I get in there and I record it, put the idea down, come back to it later. So, um, not quite the voice over work, but you know, it was just still some music going on. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Sean. Um, uh, I, I'm really excited to be able to highlight you um, just as a, a, a leader in the, the Baton Rouge music scene, uh, art scene, and um, one of those people who doesn't like to put himself in the spotlight. Mm, yeah. uh, and so, you know, it's my job to kind of push people like you into the spotlight because people need to know about you and, you know, some of the just fascinating things that you've, that you've done in the city and, and, and outside of the city. So. Thank you so much for coming on the show, man. Thanks for having me. Awesome, awesome. For everybody else out there listening, y'all, this is Chancellor Zero Skidmore signing off. At some point, sooner or later, I'll see y'all at a show. Peace. Peace.